Wait, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's a New York Giants victory. <laughs> Let's go. Hey, what a do, listeners. Today is Monday, October 16th. 2017, and I would like to welcome you to this week's Lloyd A. Thompson and the Mad Mike Sports Talk Show. I hope you, the listeners, as always, had a great week. And as always, this is this show airs live every Monday from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and of course at LloydAThompson.com. And as always, listeners, if you have any questions that you'd like to be aired, be sure to shoot them through email to Lloyd at parkmyfresh.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Lloyd A. Thompson. One word. And be sure to hit that follow button. And also be sure to hit that subscribe button so you can catch the live airings of the show and also replays so you can catch up with what's going on and what me and Mad Mike are talking about. As always, guys, we have a very exciting show for you today. The Jets follow the Patriots at the controversial replay call. The New York Giants managed to stop their 0-5 skid and plow the win in Denver against a team that no one expected them to beat. The NBA season kicks off as the New York Knicks and the Brooklyn Nets finish off their preseason with the Nets having a decent preseason and the Knicks just having an abysmal preseason. The New York Islanders, the New York Rangers are doing their thing and getting their battle on. And the New York Yankees, down 0-2, look to pull out a win against the Houston Astros up in the boogie-down box later this evening. So guys, as always, let's buckle up, sit back and relax, and start spreading the news. Hey yo, let's get it! Ladies and gentlemen, like we always do at this time, it's Monday. That means it's time to talk sports on the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike show. Let's go. What's going on, listeners? As always, we got to find out where the Mad Mike is calling from. So let's see where the Mad Mike is calling from and where he's at. Yo, Mad Mike, where you at today, baby? What's going on, Lloyd? What's going on, everybody? I'm calling in from Billy's in the Bronx, right by the stadium. All right, well, you know... The Bronx Bombers got a big game later on today against those Houston Astros down 0-2, but we're going to touch on that a little bit later in the show. But Mad Mike, you know, your your beloved Jets, man, they lost a tough one against New England on, to me, a controversial play call. You know, so I want to touch up on that first. And, you know, my New York Giants got their first win out the way. But I want to get your thoughts on the Jets game today. I mean, yesterday, I'm sorry. I thought the Jets uh, started out the, the gate hot. I thought you couldn't ask for a better start. Um, at one point, had them uh, up 14 nothing, But then, you know, uh, Josh McClown showed up and uh, just, you know, started uh, doing what uh, career backup quarterbacks do. Um, you know, they, they, it was a tough one. They lost a tough one yesterday. Had a shot uh, at sole possession in the first place. And, you know, the Jets just... Always find a way to break your heart. Although I will say the pass got a lot of help from the referees. Well, I'm going to say that, you know, Gang Green, they put up a good fight against the Patriots yesterday. You know, even though they lost, you know, the battle for first place in the AFC East, 
you know, that loss put the Jets at 3-3, three and three, one game behind the Patriots at, you know, who's 4-2. and two. But even though the Jets lost, they proved that they were for real in this game, man, Mike. You know, I kind of felt, I mean, they held a 14-0 lead in the first half, you know, and, and, and they pulled within a touchdown of the Patriots in the fourth quarter. And, and it was too much Tom Brady. You know, he was Tom Brady was 20 and 38 for for 257 yards and two touchdowns. And he did throw an interception. But Rob Gronkowski, man, the Gronk went in. He had six catches for 83 yards with two touchdowns. You know, but you were right. You know, it was a questionable call by the official in the fourth quarter that really doomed the Jets. Yeah, I, I don't. It's it's honestly one of the worst calls I've ever seen. I mean, it, you got to think about this. The the call on the field was a touchdown. It wasn't a fumble. So they 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 they're reviewing the touchdown, and they decide to to call this a fumble. And yes, he did lose possession for a quick minute, but you could see that he had regained possession. And and when he he went to the ground, and he came and basically rolled over, he had full possession of the ball. You could not see the ball moving. There was no camera angle that they showed where this ball is moving. So to me, if the rule is, you need clear and concise evidence. It has to be conclusive to overturn whatever call is made on the field. I don't. Did you see anything to make make you think other anything other than the fact that it was a touchdown? No, I, any I, replay. I agree with you on the whole conclusive evidence. I didn't see conclusive evidence. He did fumble, but I don't think there was enough in that situation to overturn that play. And that was the same scenario that happened, Mad Mike in Detroit, where I thought Detroit got robbed. You know, as they scored the touch, uh, a touchdown, what was ruled a touchdown, then went back to a replay. It wasn't ruled a touchdown. It was overturned. And then time was running off the clock, and that ended up being the last play of the game. So the replay would be the one thing that you think will make the game, you know, fair and correct mistakes that officials make. But, there, you know, there were two costly mistakes, in my opinion, by replay officials that cost teams games. And the Jets were one of the teams that, you know, win against, you know, the, Listen, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead, man, Mike. No, I was just going to say you're a hundred percent right on that, but the, the, the rule book in the NFL is so black and white. I've always said this and, and I don't, I'm not saying it as a conspiracy theorist. I'm saying that they write some of these rules that allow them specifically headquarters to control the outcome of games. What is a catch? What is not a catch? What is a fumble? What is not a fumble? What you know, these rules where it's up to that official's interpretation that day. That's, I mean, rule. That, that's not what rules are. You know what I'm saying? You break the law, you broke the law. It shouldn't, it, a law shouldn't be written where you're like, well, you know, I think on a technicality, this is nonsense, man. It's in the end of the day, he didn't fumble the ball. The ball never touched the ground. And not only that, let's keep this in mind, man, Mike. Being that it was ruled to fumble, it was only third down, so the Jets didn't even get to get three points out of that because it was ruled that he fumbled the ball out of the end zone. So that's how, that's how you know, that's how much of a swing change that that call was in the game. Yeah, but, but that's, that's exactly my point. The ball never went out of the end zone. When he hit the pylon and landed, that ball was in, in, in his gut. It was in his possession. Well, I mean, obviously the pylon is the, is the touchdown line, and he did make contact with the pylon, but I don't know if the judge was saying that 
He also landed out of bounds. He didn't land in bounds, but the pylon is a field of play. And being that he made contact with the pylon, that should be considered inbound. So it was yeah. it was just a weird play. But Josh McCown completed 31 of 47 passes for 354 yards with two touchdowns. But he did throw two interceptions in the game. He, he threw two back-breaking interceptions. Two back-breaking interceptions. It, it, it's it can't be. Uh, I'm gonna say this for a vet, for a veteran quarterback who supposedly gives this team the best chance to win. I, I I am gonna be as honest and brutal as I possibly can be for you. I saw today a guy in, in the end of the first half when we're in field goal range throw an interception, give the ball right back to them. I mean that could have been the Oakland muff punt. You know, you know it just takes the air out of the sails, and you just knew after that interception, Brady was going to go down and he was going to score the touchdown, and then uh, they were going to get the ball back at, at the beginning of the half, and he was just going to go down and score another touchdown. And it's funny because that's exactly what happened. And, and before I absolve, before I go after you know blame this all on him, I, I do want to touch on Todd Bowles also, who. Josh McCown on a third down in Patriot territory took a bad sack yet again. And instead of going for a 50 yard field goal, I get, I know it was windy, but instead of going for a 50 yarder, uh, I think it was a drive before the last drive of the half before the interception, Todd Bowles decided to punt the ball. Doesn't look bad because that was the same drive that the Jets ended up intercepting Brady on, but take the three points, man. It's the Patriots. They're not going to stay down for long. Take the three points. And then he did it again in the in the third quarter where he had an opportunity at a 52-yarder. And we're talking about Canizaro, who has showed that he has a pretty big leg, right? He's, he's hit a few 50-yarders. I think he had a 57-yarder at the end of the half uh, last week uh, uh, against Cleveland. You know, take your shots. But to me, if he misses him, he misses him. But you potentially left six points on the board. Yeah, well, you know, the, the funny thing is, man, Mike, is going back, you know, Tony Corrente was the head referee of the game. And after the game, you know, Corrente said that it was pretty obvious that they should that they should have overturned the call, which they did. And again, that made it a touchback, taking possession away from the Jets after what looked like a touchdown. That was just a devastating play for the Jets in this game yesterday against the against the Patriots. But I did say in last week's show that the Jets were going to play the Patriots tough, and they always do, especially in MetLife Stadium. And they gave the Patriots a run for their money. Surprisingly, it was a lot of Patriots fans there, Matt, Mike. Uh, I, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, and the reason it doesn't surprise me, shame on Jet fans, but how many Jet fans thought that we were going to be 3-2 and two with an opportunity to you know, make it into first place. Not many, right? So I'm sure that these are guys that said, hey, you want to know what? I'll sell my tickets. I'll make a few dollars. They might have sold these tickets six weeks ago to Patriot fans. It should never happen, but it happened. You're absolutely right. You know, <laughs> man, Brady and the Patriots, they have all that jewelry, so no one should have been surprised, you know, that it was 14 to 14 at halftime. You know, after the Patriots turned the Josh McCown interception into a touchdown, and then they came right back down the field, and, you know, uh, Brady connected with Rob Gronkowski with nine seconds left, you know, before halftime. So, I mean, you know, the, the, the Jets played well, 
But, you know, against teams like the Patriots, you can't allow things like that to happen. That drive before halftime where they scored a touchdown, you know, that was another swing, you know, swing in possession, in my opinion, in that game yesterday. I, I agree with you. But once again, I mean, you know you're playing the Patriots. Like you said, you're playing Tom Brady, the, the GOAT. You you can't think on offense that you can't think that your defense, as good as they're playing, are going to hold these guys down forever. That's why all the Jets had to do. You tell me they abandoned the run today. I know you. You know, first of all, I don't know how much more you have to see from Matt Forte to know that that it's over, man. Turn 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 the key. You know, turn the car off. Get rid of the keys. It's like that old jalopy that that you're 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 married to. You just don't want to get rid of it. It's time to get rid of it. You know, go to the dealership, buy. You know, get get that S class with sparkling new rims on it, and, and move on because he doesn't move the offense one bit, man. He he comes in. You know, they had no power yesterday, and Matt Forte, and all of a sudden they go from a 200 yard rushing team to a 60 yard rushing team, 40, 50 yards, whatever it was. It was ugly, man. And, and it, he there's just no burst there. You see it. He, he, he's, he looks like he's being patient, but he's not really being patient. He's just being old. Is he, he, it, it also goes to show how much they uh, miss Bilal Powell also. You know, yeah. with him not being in the game. And I also thought that they could have gave the ball a little bit more to, uh, what's, his, what's his name? Elijah Maguire. Yeah, Elijah Maguire. Yeah, I felt they should have they fed him more. And it was like, you know, Forte was hurt and he missed the first couple games. And then they just completely bring him back and completely seem to ignore all the work that the young man Elijah put in and kind of push but Matt Forte ahead of him. Isn't that what I told you? Isn't that what happened coming out of preseason? McGuire and Powell carried this, this Russian attack in the, in the preseason. And then week one comes and all of a sudden Matt Forte is healthy and we're going to give him the rock and, and the, offensive, uh, the, the offense just stalled out the first few games of the year. And then he gets hurt. In comes McGuire and Powell. All of a sudden, for three weeks, the running game takes off. And then right back to nothing when he comes back. Uh, I mean, I don't know what else people have to see. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm being negative, maybe a, a little extra because they lost. But these are all things that, that just watching the game you see. How about the fact that, and, I, and I've missed it, but I heard Mike Westhoff talk about it today. How about the fact that they moved Leonard Williams inside and he's facing all these double teams now all of a sudden and Mo Wilkerson can't beat his one-on-ones. It's time for Mo Wilkerson to be shown the door too. You know what? You and your $16 million season and your fat ass can get out of New York ASAP. Now he signed a, what was it, a franchise tag? In the no, no, he got, he, 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 he complained. He, he used the media to his advantage. He got himself a nice new contract. Going into last year, he wasn't in shape last year. He 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 blamed the the the, the Jets training staff. He's been un. You know what? And I know Manish Mater's been going at him, and I, I defended him for Manish Mater because we're talking about a guy who always has an agenda, no matter who it is. Now I'm saying Manish Mater might have an agenda, but I know what my eyes see, and this is not a hungry ball player anymore. This, this this dude, I don't know, go blow your fingers off like JPP and, and find a reason to have to play. But, but uh, you know, it's time for him to go. And if, if he's not going to be able to be one-on-ones against that Patriot offensive line, then it's time to put him inside, let him take the double teams, because I know Leonard Williams is hungry, and I know he's a star. Let him go one-on-one and beat 
you know, be, be his man all day. Put him on the left side of the line and let's get after Brady. Enough already. Yeah, Leonard Williams is a beast. But I will say something positive to Jets fans, man, Mike. You know, three-game winning streak ended. I understand that the three-game streak winning streak ended. But, the, you know, the Jets, they, they have to believe that they proved that they can play with the, you know, with the best in the NFL. And the Jets stayed competitive, you know, even after that replay took away a potential touchdown. Again, you know, for some from uh, Safari and Jenkins. But that call will be discussed at length this week. You know, but I feel that the Jets get, they did a good enough, you know, they did enough good things to believe that they have to be headed in the right direction, Mad Mike. No, I agree. I agree. They're playing hard. Um, you know, uh, are their coaches adjusting enough to give them a chance to win? That remains to be seen. But their coaches are getting 110% effort. And I don't know if you recall, but going into the season, I did tell you that. Um, this team is going to play much better than they did last year just for the simple fact that they're too young and dumb not to give effort. Just by giving effort, you know this game is, I don't care what anybody says, this game, everybody's talented. So so it's the effort that's going to separate teams for the most part. And they got rid of a lot of these uh, spoiled veterans. Now, who do the Jets have this, this, uh, this coming Sunday? I believe that they have Miami coming up. Right, well, Which is a winnable game. It's a winnable game, and they could get back on, you know, hopefully they get back on track. But we also know for some reason, just like the Jets play New England tough, Miami plays the Jets tough. So, <laughs> you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, you know, this coming Sunday. But hopefully the Jets can pull out a dub. We'll see. But let's move on to the G-Man, the New York football Giants who won in Denver last night, the Sunday night game, 23-20. to 20, And, uh, you know, we both agreed, you know, one in five ain't going to matter much. I, You know, I still believe that their season is over. I'm pretty sure you feel that their season is over. But this right here, man, Mike, this was probably the most complete game that I've seen the Giants play in six weeks. Although I will say that I wasn't too enamored with the play calling in the fourth quarter. I thought they got way too conservative in the fourth quarter. But I can see why they may have got conservative because they had the lead and the defense was doing well. But I still wish that they would have stuck with the game plan in the fourth quarter. Let me hear your thoughts on that, Matt, Mike. Yeah, I thought, I thought in the fourth quarter they were just playing to preserve the win. Uh, I'm not going to fault them for that, being that this is uh, week six and they're still looking for their first win. They just wanted to get that monkey off their back. So uh, I, I, I'm giving them a pass for it. But I do I do understand what you're saying. And, and that kind of uh, game plan, you know, leads to losses and, and closer games. I, I'm, I'm going to assume they'd be more aggressive if the score wasn't as, as uh, much in their favor as it was. Now, also, I want to point out to the listeners, man, Mike, that for the first time, Ben McAdoo gave up play calling, and he handed the play calling duties over to the offensive coordinator, which who and every offensive coordinator normally calls the plays, but he claimed his reason why he gave up that duty was so that he can 100% focus on his team. And in my opinion, I saw it as almost of a cop-out because if the Giants would have lost this game, he would have then turned around and said, see, it's not my play calling as to why we lost. But I'm glad that the Giants won. I thought the play calling outside of the fourth quarter 
was really good. They moved the ball. They ran the ball. They had over 100 yards. And this is a team, the Denver Broncos, who didn't give up 100 yards to three playoff, three playoff teams and three great running backs. And the Giants managed to get over 100 yards against them in yesterday's game, Matt, Mike. Yeah, you, you know, it's funny. Um, we both agree that that I, I think him giving up the play calling was a cop-out. Uh, I think we look at it just slightly different. Uh, to me, I just think he saw an opportunity where, you know, Paul Perkins is out, uh, you know, his entire wide receiving uh, corpse was out. So I think it's now him taking his hands off. Like, all right, you go sing. You, you know, basically, you go fail. I, I, I don't want anybody to see me failing with, with this roster. I'm supposed to be able to maximize everybody. I'm the head coach. I'm the offensive. You know, I call the plays. I'm supposed to know, you know, the right buttons to push. I'm supposed to know everyone's strengths and weaknesses. I want no part of this. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just felt like he's taking himself out of it because all of a sudden it doesn't look like they have one of the best offenses in, in football anymore. And I think he actually hurt himself because his offensive coordinator, I thought, did a pretty damn good job outside of getting conservative in the fourth quarter. I think his offensive coordinator just showed everybody, like, maybe the coach was holding back this offense the whole time. I mean, you know, I'm not – Denver didn't do much last night when you think about it. Trevor Simeon, oh, my goodness. Um, you want to talk about average quarterbacks, uh, which I'll touch on a little later when uh, – you know, I say that John Elway makes a mistake by not training for Romo or Kaepernick. But I just think that he, he showed enough. You know, Eli Eli was, was 11 for 19, nothing special. But he was able to spread the ball around, uh, got seven receivers involved. You know, they, they were able to run the ball a little bit. So it's, it's, I think that they saw the weaknesses in Denver and, and it was exploited. No thanks to, you know, Ben McAdoo. Now, here's the thing. I mean, this is a Giants fan, and I'm pretty sure a lot of football people, I wasn't expecting the Giants to win this game, especially with Dominic Rogers Cromarty being suspended by the team for walking out in a team meeting uh, last week. We got to talk about that. We got to talk about that. Yeah, uh, you know, for him walking out on a, on a team meeting last week, you know, McAdoo suspended him. And I don't know if he's going to allow him to come back or if it was a one-game suspension, or whatever the case may be. But he walked out on the team and got suspended. He walked out over playing time. He felt that he didn't get enough playing time in the previous week, and he had an issue with it and took it up with McAdoo. And I don't, you know, I guess he didn't like what was said, and he walked out on the team, which to me, you know, that's not the right way to handle the situation. You're a professional athlete, you know, and I understand at the end of the day he's human, but there's a right way to go about doing things and a wrong way to go about doing things. And when you do stuff like that, that's what I call being selfish. And, you know, he was being selfish and he thought about himself and not his team. So he got suspended, rightfully so. But with that being said, with him being suspended, meaning Eli Apple had to step up and play, you know, and he did an okay job for some reason. They didn't attack him. They attacked Jack Rabbit, Janoris Jenkins, more than they did, you know, Eli Apple. And, and uh, Demarius Thomas had a really good game against Jack Rabbit. He had over... 130 yards receiving against Jack Rabbit. Yeah, he did. He did. Um, I mean, I, I think because of the quarterback situation in Denver, I think that people forget that Demarius Thomas is, is an elite talent. Uh, he got his money already. Uh, but, it, 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 you know, I, I just think that if they fix that quarterback position, then, then we, we start uh, respecting Demarius Thomas a little bit more again. Uh, as far as... The, Denver's offensive game plan, I, I you know, 
we we know we spoke about it on and off the air. I, I don't I don't see how a team can can play the New York Giants and not target Eli Apple. If you're not targeting Eli Apple, you're not doing your homework. That, that's just my take on it. Now I'm I'm gonna say this in DRC's defense, right? He played hurt last week. Every time you looked at him, he was limping back. He, you know, he was getting a little bit of treatment on the sidelines. We're talking about a guy who, who you, you know, Eli Apple is laughing on the sidelines, joking while these guys are getting smoked, you, you know, and blowing fourth quarter leads. Meanwhile, DRC is over here arguing, fighting, trying to stay on the field. And, and, and we're talking about a guy who's never had a slip up. He, he's one of the guys that, that Tom Coughlin praised. And, you know, one of the guys that it probably didn't sit well with the things that the offensive players, Brandon Marshall and, and Odell Beckham, were getting away with. And this is the guy that you chose to set an example, to, to make an example out of? It's unbelievable to me. I mean, he wasn't the only one that was upset. Steve Spagnuolo last week had to freaking chase Jackrabbit. Jackrabbit didn't even stay on the field. He wouldn't talk. They, they actually had to chase him into the freaking into the tunnel. He wasn't the only one that was upset. I think Brad Mag and, 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 you know, talking about another cop-out, you wait until you're officially basically eliminated at 0-5 to set an example. I just think that, that, that you know, he's an offensive coach. If you want to set an example for your, your team, the roster, that locker room, you make an example out of one of these underperforming, spoiled brat offensive players. You, you know, you, instead you're over here, you know, bigging up, Eric Flowers and defending all these other guys and, and DRC. I, I lost a lot of respect for him, man. I, I know that he's got to shut his mouth and, and you know, but listen, they, they told him that they were going to, they, they, they were going to make him inactive. That's why he left. Like they, this is it. Odell's peeing on the sideline and, and like a dog. And, and I'm the guy that you're going to suspend for a game. Well, I'll tell you one thing. One thing is, is evident is that, it seems like they're, you know, the players don't really respect McAdoo as much. So there seems to be, a, you know, a dissension amongst the ranks per se. And a lot of his his uh, teammates came to his, to his defense during this game today. You know, I, I just want to point out also, Matt Mike, that Sullivan, who's the offensive coordinator, his only other game calling uh, as far as giant plays came at the final preseason game against New England. You know, Evan Ingram had a big he, he had a big night despite having two drops. Um, Justin Pugh, the offensive line, played really well. Justin Pugh was nasty. He did a great job on Vaughn Miller. Vaughn Miller only had one sack, and that was because Eli Manning moved out of the pocket. DJ Fluka did really well. You know, so the Giants offensive line, this seems to be, you know, the offensive line that they have on the field right now. It seems to be the right formula. Although still not a great offensive line, let's not get you know let's not go there, but it seems to be a great formula for success moving this week. Now the Giants have a tough task as they got to face the Seattle Seahawks this coming Sunday. So hopefully they can keep the ball rolling, and you know let's see what happens against Seattle. But they have a really really tough game against a really really tough defense. But before we go into a commercial break, Mad Mike, I'm gonna go over the scores. From week six in the NFL, the Arizona Cardinals defeated the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 38-33. The L.A. Rams defeated the Jacksonville Jaguars 27-17. The Chargers 
uh, went up against the Raiders, Mad Mike, and they beat them 17-16. Man, the Raiders are definitely not performing up to what people expected them to uh, to play. Uh, the Steelers can I, defeated the— Can I say— Get. I was going to say, can I say something on that Oakland uh, situation? Yeah, you got it real, real quick. quick. Yeah, I, I just want to say, ain't it funny how you pay the quarterback and you abandon everything else? Like, they don't run the ball anymore. They don't even try to, to sustain running attack. Uh, David Carr, Derek Carr got paid, and now that's all they want to do is throw the ball. Now you can keep going. Well, you would, you know, you would figure with that big offensive line and them having Marshawn Lynch that that would be the case, but apparently not. You know, the Pittsburgh Steelers defeated the Chiefs 19-13 as the Chiefs suffered their first loss. The New York Giants got their first win by beating the Denver Broncos um, 23-10. And the Green Bay Packers, uh, they lost to the Minnesota Vikings, Mad Mike. And breaking news, uh, Aaron Rodgers has a broken collarbone and reports is that he's going to miss the remainder of the season for the Green Bay Packers. And if that's the case, Matt, Mike, Green Bay, they, they can very well kiss their playoff hopes goodbye. Uh, the Eagles, they stay hot, man. The Eagles are staying hot. They defeated the, the Carolina Panthers 28-23. The Chicago Bears beat the, the Ravens 27-24. The Redskins defeated the San Francisco 49ers, who, are under, who haven't won a game yet, 26-24. The Saints beat the Pants. Well, they didn't beat the Pants. They were beating the Pants off the Detroit Lions. Detroit Lions made, they, they put some points on the board, but they fell 52-38. to The Dolphins, who the Jets faced this coming week, defeated the, the Falcons 20-17. to And the Texans, Deshaun Jackson continues to be on a roll. They defeated the, uh, the Cleveland Browns 33-17. to And, you know, your Jets, again, lost to the Patriots 24-17. to So that's the rundown of week six of all the NFL scores, listeners. So we're going to take a quick commercial break. And we'll be right back to discuss the Yankees, the New York Yankees, and their playoff push and being down two games to all. As they have game three in the Bronx. So let's take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back with more of the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Talk Show. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? This is AO, Aaron Omar Baker, the producer for the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Show. Just want to say thank y'all for tuning in. Thank y'all for listening. Make sure you check out LloydAThompson.com and follow him everywhere. That's Instagram, Twitter, at Lloyd A. Thompson. That's it. Let's get back to the show. Welcome back to the Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Talk Show. We got some baseball going down in the boogie down Bronx later on this evening, Mad Mike, as the Yankees take on the Houston Astros in Game 3 of the ALCS Series. And I want to get your thoughts on the first two games as the Yankees lost Game 1 2-1 to one, and they lost Game 2 the exact same score 2-1. to one. But the Yankees are not hitting the damn ball, Matt Mike. Nah, the Yankees aren't. So depressing, right? <laughs> um, first it's amazing, off, first it's off, amazing how uh, your whole demeanor changed <laughs> when you said when you said that. So you know, it, it. Listen, at the end of the day, we gotta give credit to the Yankees' star rotation. I thought Masahiro Tanaka pitched a really good game. In game one, and I thought Severino pitched a really good game in game two. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, uh, my demeanor changed because 
I, I, I've seen opportunities. I, I've seen that they've had plenty of opportunities, you know, throughout the playoffs, really. I, I mean, you know, some of these guys have stunk the whole playoff. And before I, I kill anybody, let's say it's been a pretty – it's a successful season. I mean, these guys ended up beating the, the, the Cleveland Indians. Uh, Brett Gardner in the ninth inning of Game 5 put on one of the greatest at-bats I've ever seen in my life. Um, to, to put that game out of reach and, and help them move on. But I don't know, man. As soon as Friday hit, just felt like, like you know, the pressure kind of built up. You know, Aaron Judge, he, he, he's had some good at-bats. He's still striking out a lot. Um, these, these umpires, I, I don't know what Major League Baseball is going to do to help him out because these umpires are getting his strike zone all wrong. Uh, I don't know how many more times we got to see him get called strikes on balls two inches off the plate, you know, an inch and a half below his knee because they're not so used to, you, you know, they're not used to such a tall individual, and, you know, in the batter's box. They, Major League Baseball has to fix that. Gary Sanchez, uh, I don't know what's going on. He's not seeing the, the, the uh, breaking pitch, if you ask me. Uh, they, they, John Smoltz has said it numerous times. Uh, all you got to do is throw him a breaking ball with two strikes. He's so aggressive that anything in the dirt, he's going to swing on top of it. And if John Smoltz sees that, that means the coaches, are, uh, you know, the Houston coaches are seeing it. That means the pitchers know it. And he needs to fix it. He needs to fix it immediately. Now, uh, I don't know what you see as what, as the biggest issue they've had so far. But one of the biggest issues that I've seen is Chase Headley. Uh, this guy can't hit. This guy's 0 for 15 in You're the playoffs any with eight from strikeouts. You're not getting any hitting from any of their DHs. Yeah, but, uh, but, but here's Ellsbury's the thing. Ellsbury's not it, hitting. It, Matt Holliday is not hitting. What do they do? Well, well, I, I start with him first, and here's why. Because Ellsbury is 0 for 9, but he's reached base three times. Uh, whereas Chase Headley is 0 for 15. He has six more bats. 0 for 15, he hasn't reached base at all. And, and you know, let's be, let's be fair to Matt Holliday. He probably only gave Matt Holiday, you know, the, the uh, game against Dallas Keuchel because if Chase Headley goes 0 for 3, 0 for 4, all of a sudden we're saying, man, Chase Headley's 0 for 18, 0 for 19, you know, where, I, I mean, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball, and that's the guy that you choose to bring Matt Holiday into face. It, it, it was just kind of mind-blowing to me. He never had a shot, but... You know, there's some other issues I saw. You know, uh, to be fair to Greg Bird, he's not the fastest runner, but Greg Bird's got to learn how to slide. It, it, it wasn't the first time on, on Friday night where I've seen him. He slides with his lead leg. It, it always kicks up. So when he's when he's running, you know, when he slides into home or whatever base it is, they actually have an opportunity to tag him before he gets his, his foot down. If he keeps his foot down sliding in, he beats – you know he's not tagged out by McCann on you know you know what I'm talking about on Friday night where Aaron Judge hits the single and, and this blows my mind because it was actually on a three two count. Greg Bird is supposed to be you know breaking for third. He, if he's running as hard as he possibly can, then you know that that's that he's safe to begin with. But whatever, man. Well, here's the thing. There's a I think the biggest problem again with the Yankees and despite you know Chase Headley and, and all that, there's a lot of swing and misses. You know, they struck out 14 times, 14 times in game one, and then turned around and struck out 13 times in game two. That's just not going to crack it. I know I know. Keiko is a great pitcher, 
and Verlander is a great pitcher. But again, the Yankees haven't been hitting at all. They weren't hitting in the Cleveland series. They're lucky they got out of that. And this is continuing when they're not hitting in the Houston series. And, all you know, Cleveland, to me, I, that's the one team I wanted to face. I didn't want to touch Houston or face Houston until now. I mean, obviously, we have no choice. But Houston plays the Yankees really well. And Houston, again, you just can't continue to perform like this and play like this against good teams. You're going to run into a brick wall and not be able to break through it. Pressure burst pipes. And the one thing that Houston does is they keep the pressure on, right? So, I mean, in the end of the I day... I just think, man, Mike, Altuve, and it wasn't even like that ball that was hit. When he scored the game one and run in game two, that ball didn't roll to the wall, man. Mike, that ball was cut off by Judge. Now, granted, Judge overthrew the cutoff, man. No, no, uh, that's what I was just going to say to you. Uh, you know, because, and it's funny that you mentioned that, because most most people that are, uh, you know, analysis or, or, you know, analysts or whatever it is, they, they don't play the game. They don't realize that that ball, uh, if that ball goes to the right place, Altuve doesn't even get sent home. You're right. You're absolutely right. If if Judge hits the cutoff, if he hits Sterling Castro, who was the right cutoff man to hit, and then overshoot him, because when Didi threw the ball, the ball short hopped Sanchez, and it was a short, obviously, you know, I catch, you know, in a semi-pro league that I play in, and short hops, although they're not the easiest play to make, I thought that that short hop was the play that Sanchez should have made, and I don't know if he went to go make the tag before he caught the ball, but I, I feel it was a play that he should have made. But all in all, the relay was off. It was off to begin with. And that's what caused the problem from the jump. Was that yeah, Aaron I, Judge overshot Sterling Castro. Uh, you know what? I don't even think if you go watch the replay, uh, I don't think he overshot Castro. I don't think Castro went out to get the ball. Because if you look at where Didi caught it, uh, Castro's still in, in eye shot of that replay. I don't think Castro went out and gave him a target. I think that, that Judge cut it off, and, and because he didn't have a target, he, he went to second base. But we know that that's not where that ball is supposed to go. And the fact, and, and I think the third base coach sees that ball going to second base. He's sending Altuve, specifically because I, of I that. Only, I, I mean, from my, from my point of view, it looked like Castro was out there. And from Judge's reaction, it looked like he knew he should have hit Castro. And he didn't, you know, and, and then, you know, the, the play, you know, again, obviously, you know, Didi had to turn around and they said it may have been some obstruction by the runner, but the runner was basically sliding in a second and kind of popping up as he hit the base. But yeah, either way, I, I, you're all right. I, maybe I agree six, with him. Maybe, you know, maybe Castro usually is a cutoff man. You throw your arms up so your outfielder can see you. You put both arms up like here I am, hit me. And that it didn't look like Castro put his arms up. It looked like he was just standing there. Yeah, no, I agree. But you want to know, I, 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 once again, I haven't seen a replay because they haven't shown, you know, how they do the whole field shot where we can see all the moving parts. I haven't been able to, to find that replay. I haven't seen that one, uh, you know, out there yet. So I haven't been able to tell you if he did or didn't. I, I can just see just from the replays of, of, of the throw coming in and just where everyone is in the field. I don't. I just think Castro assumed that the ball was going to go to the to the gap. I don't think he, you know, and that's my own personal opinion. I don't think he thought Judge was going to was going to be able to cut that off before it got to the wall. Yeah, I mean, so even I don't think he, the infielder, whether it gets to the wall or gets cut off, 
you still got to get into your cutoff position. So no, you're right, but I think he just assumes, hey, if the wall, if the ball gets to the wall, and and uh, remember Altuve is uh, is running, uh, I think he just assumes that we don't have a shot. So you know, I don't know. I, I'm not. I'm not. Like I said, I didn't see. You know, I I didn't see if he did or didn't go out. But I can tell you that he was way too close to Didi. Uh, me being a shortstop, I can tell you that he's way too close to Didi for me to say that he went out to take that cutoff. Yeah. Nah. I mean, I I I, I mean, I have to. I have to. I mean, I I for, to, in my opinion, I remember the play as it happened, and I don't remember him being nowhere near Didi. If anything, he may have been too far into the. He may have been too far out to the outfield, you know, because Judge has a strong arm. But I thought, you know, Judge just overshot him, and he was nowhere near the ball as it bounced to Didi. I just think that the biggest mistake a was that he didn't put his hands up so Judge could see see him, and Judge's reaction was just to get the ball in because he knew Altuve was running, and he just completely threw the ball a second instead of throwing the ball to the cutoff man as the cutoff man. Should have should have had his arms raised, and Castro didn't do that. But you know, despite all of that, the bottom line is, man, you can't strike out twenty seven damn times and win baseball games. The Yankees need to start hitting the damn ball. No, you're right. You're right. One hundred percent right. But you, you, it, it, it just seems, uh, it, it seems like the Yankees change their philosophy throughout the game, like. I, when you listen to, to these guys talk, it, it's like we know we have to get into these guys' bullpen. We know facing Keiko. We know facing Verlander. We got to get them out of the game. And, and just me uh, uh, spitting off, I'm watching Greg Bird, you know, take a, 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 a tough six-pitch walk against uh, Keiko. And then I, I watch Castro come right up and, and – uh, makes out on the first pitch. And I'm saying, you know, how? It, 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 and I've always said this about Starlin Castro. When he gets in a slump, he starts to try too hard. And and it just becomes too, too uh, you know, he's not the only one. But you, you can't follow a walk swinging and making out on the first pitch. You can't do it, especially when you know you need. Uh, against these guys, you have to get into their bullpen. The only shot the Yankees have is getting into the Houston bullpen. It just it, just these are facts. Everybody knew that coming in. The fact that that you lost two, you know, back to back two one games, tells me that that you got, you know, uh, uh, you got a pitching performances from your starters that I don't necessarily know if you you completely expected. They went head to head with Keuchel and Verlander, and you, you just took the wrong approach offensively. Yeah, well, they need, you know, CC Sabathia is going in tonight's game, you know, and he's he's pitched well. I mean, let's face it, he's he's pitched really well for the Yankees in the playoffs. So hopefully he can, you know, be that stopgap, you know, uh, you know, in, in this game. This is a big game. The Yankees really can't afford to go down, you know, three games to none. And if they do, the series is completely over. I can't see them beating Houston four times and having to face Verlander and Keiko again. So this is a huge, huge game for the New York Yankees. And they, this is a must-win game, must-win. And, and, and with that being said, I, I did watch the replay. Man, Mike, I just watched the replay. And Sterling Castro was in the outfield for the cutoff. But I will say it didn't look like he had his arms up, you know, to, to you know, receive the ball. But he was in possession for the cutoff and Judge overthrew him. But 
he was out there. He just didn't, it didn't seem like he put his arms up to receive the ball to let Judge know that he was there for Judge to hit him. So that's just poor baseball. That's poor fundamentals. You know, it, you know, sometimes baseball players that get all this money and they don't do things the right way fundamentally. I see football players and I'm watching all these games and I'm seeing so many football players tackle and not wrap up, but just laying their shoulder in the, in the running backs and in the ball carriers. Nah, that's and, fundamentals. You're right. You know, and they're just bouncing off guys, you know, and not making plays. So, you know, that's another thing. You play ball, I play ball, and we both know as athletes that if you don't do things fundamentally, if you don't play fundamentally sound baseball more than anything else, you're really not going to win baseball games. And even though the no. Yankees aren't hitting, you know what I'm saying? We, you know, you brought up some points about base running and all that other kind of stuff. They're also not playing fundamentally sound baseball. So they have to get both those things corrected and get both those things in order if they want to beat Houston, who's a really tough team. Oh, no, I, I agree with you. Um, we'll see what happens tonight. Uh, CC, does he have it? You know, hopefully he has it. Uh, you, you know, I hate to, to say that you're waiting for the shoe to drop. Um, I, I just know that Joe tonight has to have the bullpen ready. And, and I'm not saying that CC is going to be bad. What I'm saying is the one thing uh, we know CC loses it very quick, even that start game five against uh cleveland he lost it quick so you you have to be ready it was boom 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 four straight hits in a row and and cc likes to work quick cc doesn't like to labor so you know you just get you they they got to be ready tonight um all hands on deck because you're right this is the season you go down 3-0 it's over so um you know they got to be ready they got to be 100 ready tonight now man how good is altuve man that, that uh, Altuve is a super beast. He he can do it, and as a matter of fact, um, he saved the game. If you, if you ask me, he saved the game on uh, Friday night. He had a hard hit, one hop line drive at him, and it seemed like you know it was an amazing play. Diving, got, got up, threw him out. It seemed just like a regular play. Oh well, not a big deal. But you know, he, he killed the you know the Yankees had a rally that inning, and um, that out. It was it was large, you know. It was the first out of the inning, but if Didi gets on, all of a sudden, you know, you follow with a couple hits, and and maybe you you scratch out a run. It, it was huge. I, I thought it went kind of, uh, if you can say, uh, overlooked. You know, it was such an amazing play, but um, he's special. He's special. Guy hits. Guy steals. Guy walks. He's he's just absolutely special. Now the Yankees show some perseverance against the Cleveland Indians. And, the, and, you know, in the first round, so hopefully this see they, you know, they can do it again. Now, I'm not giving up on these guys just yet. You know, again, like I said, you know, winning tonight's game can change the whole complexity of the series. So this is like, again, I hate to, you know, beat on a dead drum or whatever the damn saying is. But they have to. 1,000% have to win this game tonight. And if they don't, I don't think I'm going to watch another damn game in the series because, you know, the series would be over. And one thing with me is that, you know, with baseball, you know, if the Yankees are baseball is the one sport that, if you know, my team that I'm following is not in it, I don't watch it no more. I mean, I'm going to have to watch it for the show's sake. But outside of that, man, I could give a damn rats behind, you know, who wins. So, you know, I'm going to say, let's go Yanks. 
You got anything else to say before I move on to basketball? Do we have to move on to basketball? Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, we have to move on to basketball as the NBA season kicks off this week. It kicks off tomorrow, Matt Mike, with two really good games going on. You know, you got the Cleveland Cavs. You know, they're going up against the uh, the the, uh, the Boston Celtics. So that's Kyrie returning home. And you got the Houston Rockets going up against the Golden State Warriors. So that's a great way to start the season off. But let's talk about the New York Knickerbockers, who Mad Mike are mere days away from entering the regular season. These guys. <laughs> now, this season is rapidly approaching. And, you know, I listen, I don't know. I don't know what to expect from the Knicks. I have such low expectations for these guys this year. The only thing I'm expecting out of this team is a high lottery pick and and a, and a draft coming up. You know, but, you know, the, the Knicks total line between an all-out rebuild and, you know, there definitely is not a post for the push season. So this is this is definitely a rebuilding situation. But their roster, man, Mike, their roster, I don't get their roster. Their roster is so unbalanced. I was at the game. Uh, I was at the game at the Garden uh, Friday night, and they played against the uh, Washington Wizards, and there was no John Wall, but there was no Kristaps Porzingis. And, you know, this might have been the best preseason game that the Knicks played as they hung tough with the Knicks. I mean, as they hung tough with the Wizards for four quarters and then ran out of steam down the stretch. But I don't, you know, I'm not fond of the player rotation. I'm not fond of the guys who Jeff Hornacek has on the court, you know, playing ball. Um, they don't play perimeter defense well. Their guards can't guard any other guard one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's a premier guard or any guard for that matter. Their rotation is terrible, man, Mike. There was times that I saw three Knicks crash into the ball. Why do you need three players crashing to one, crashing to the ball? Obviously, there's five players on the court. So if three players are going to the ball, duh, somebody's going to be wide open. And that happened all too many times with the New York Knicks. And this is a team that is supposed to be preaching defense. And of all things, I haven't seen that at all in five preseason games, Mad Mike. Uh, my only answer to that would be it's still the preseason. It's a new roster. A lot of guys that haven't played together. A lot of guys got to get familiar with, with, with each other. And I think that you're going to see that the first a uh, couple weeks of the season, um, I think it'll be a little rough. Uh, hopefully, they can squeeze out a few wins while while they uh, continue to, you know, build chemistry. Uh, we, I, I don't think we can overreact. Uh, you know, I don't want to overreact, and I think that the one thing that we're we're forgetting here is. The, everything is is sped up a little bit this season because the players wanted those, you, you know, they didn't want any more of these back to back. So now the season is starting tomorrow instead of on Halloween or the thirty, you know, thirtieth, thirty first, November first, where it normally starts. So uh, I think that you're. It's kind of like the NFL, how the NFL instead of playing the five preseason games and, and you know they went to the four preseason games. And they, they don't have two-a-days and all these things anymore. I think you're going to see that with the NBA now. Um, the players wanted less practice in the NFL, and Steve Young says it all the time. The first month of the season is like the preseason now, and and, and uh, you get a lot of bad football. I think that's exactly where the NBA is heading. You're going to get a lot of bad basketball 
for the first, you know, three, four weeks of the season because these players are used to having the entire month of October and, and playing longer preseason schedules. I believe they used to play 12 games, and I think this year they, they, they uh, cut it down to five games. You know, those seven games speak a lot. You know, you know they, we, we don't care because we're fans. We just want to, you know, get to the season. But as far as building the chemistry, you know, especially defensive chemistry, you know, I don't want to fault them too much. We'll see what they look like. If they look the same way, you know, November 15th, then I say I know nothing. You know well, what I'm saying? They're, the they're, thing, they're man, terrible. Like, I, I've watched quite a few preseason games. I've tried to watch as many preseason games as I possibly could. And it seems like most of the teams in the NBA kind of stuck to the rotation that they'll be using during the regular season so guys can adjust and play with one another. And you would figure that the Knicks, being that there's such a, you know, being that there was such a large turnover in the roster, they would do the same thing. But they have so many different guys on the court playing with each other, man, that aren't going to be playing with each other during the regular season. I just, it just baffled me, you know, that, that the, you know, that, that it was being done that way. Chris Stapps Pazingas, you know, reports are that he's going to be ready you know, for the for the regular season as he participated in full in full contact drills and Frank Nidalakina hasn't. You know, he's still not practicing or in full contact anyway. So I don't know what the reports are. If he's gonna be ready, I heard that he will be ready. Who knows? We'll see. But part of getting better and part of learning, you know, and getting the you know the ups and downs and the bumps and all that other kind of stuff that goes along with being an NBA player is being on the court. And this young kid hasn't done so. So, you know, he's it's going to be a learning curve. And, you know, obviously he's going to have to learn as he goes along. And hopefully it's not, you know, it's not it's not a tough learning curve. But I'll tell you this much, man, Mike. I done seen Dennis Smith Jr. play. And I done seen Malik Monk play. And I tell you this much, both them boys are doing their thing in the preseason. So even more, even, you know, I, I didn't want Frank Nidalekino over those two guys. And, every, you know, everybody was like, give this kid a chance. I'm going to give him a chance. But, you know, as I watched those other two young kids play, man, I just couldn't do nothing but shake my head because I'm like, these guys could have been in a Knicks uniform doing exactly what they're doing in a Dallas Mavericks and Charlotte Hornets uniform. Yeah, I hear you. But at the same time, can't ignore this kid's potential. The, 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 the fact of the matter is, Half the people in New York didn't want him over over those other guys, so they're not going to give him a fair shot. They're not going to acknowledge that he does have potential, and, and there there are going to be things that he can do that they don't, and, and mainly play defense. You know, you were just complaining about the defense rotations and and chemistry, and, and the one thing that everyone has said about this kid, he might not be the offensive talent those guys are right now, but the one thing that those guys are not going to be long term is the defender he's going to be. And, and that goes from everybody. Anybody, go go look and listen to all the scouts. The one thing that they do say about this kid, he is going to be a lockdown defender at the point guard position. They, they don't know if he's going to be able to score, distribute, uh, you know, at what clip. Because once again, uh, he didn't play a lot in, in uh, you know, in the Euro ball circuit. Because obviously they just don't play their teenagers that many minutes. They just, it's not something they do. So no one knows what he's going to be offensively. But defensively those guys are never going to be Frank Nellikina it's just that that's that's just facts and I'm I'm me I'm I'm not going to make a, a, a I've seen enough guys uh the Greek freak for one 
Everyone knew he was coming out. He was going to be a lockdown defender. He was going to be the man. What, how long was it going to take for the offense to follow? All of a sudden, this guy's one of the you know, num, you know, know, best players in the NBA. If you're telling me that I have that at point guard right now, and it, it, coming out, he has the same exact questions that the Greek freak did. Not saying he's going to be that, but the fact that there's potential for that, I'm, I'm fine with that. Fine with him taking his time. Look, no I, mean, we ain't, we, I mean, obviously with rookies, you know, there's growing pains in my opinion. I'm a New Yorker, so damn taking time. I want results right now, so we'll see what happens. I mean, I, you know, again, it's a process. He's a rookie, but the only way to be on the court and get better and perfect your craft, I mean, the only way to get better and perfect your craft is that you have to be on the court, and he hasn't been on the court. So we'll see. The only reason why I'm trusting the process is because everybody gave Kristaps Porzingis such a hard time to go, including myself. I'll be the first one to admit that when the, when the Knicks – Drafted Kristaps Porzingis. I was smacking myself in the head. I was like, why are they doing this? Who in the heck is this guy? And Kristaps Porzingis is turning out to be a pretty good ball player. So because that was the case with Kristaps Porzingis, I'm kind of taking the same view with Frank Nittalikina, and I'm going to trust the process, but also didn't take Kristaps a long time to get his, you know, to get his feet under him and running as he kind of did well as the season went on his first year in the league. So, obviously, Chris Stapps and Frank Nittalikina are two different players. They're not the same person. So, let's see what happens. I'm hoping the same thing happens with Frank Nittalikina, where he could come in, get, you know, get on, get it, get his feet on the ground running and, and kind of catch up and, and, and run, you know, like Chris Stapps Pazingas did. Because if it's going to take him some time to get himself together, you know, whether it be a two years or three years, you know, I, I don't. I, I can see the Knicks end up drafting another point guard. This is, this is who it is, man. You know, you bring in point guards, you know, to tutor him, and you, the two point guards you bring in to tutor him are Jared Jack, who I like, but I'm surprised he hasn't been playing well or look. He's looked like a shell of himself in the preseason. And Ramon Sessions, who to me is not a starting point guard, he's you know he's a backup point guard, but now he's thrusted into the role of being a starter point guard. So. We'll see what happens, but there's so many good free agents that haven't even been signed. Monte Ellis is out there, so I really don't know. You know, with the Knicks, they signed Trey Burke, and, and three days later they cut him. So well, I mean, they they have Trey Burke's uh, G League rights. Right, I like so he's that going move. To you the know, G League then. Correct. Okay. Uh, I like it though. Uh, you know, no, about I thought it made sense. Twenty-four year old. it it makes sense. He has a great potential. He played with Tim Hardaway Jr. And let's not forget, he was one of the best college players. You know, to come out of college when he was at Michigan. So I thought uh, the that, signing was, exactly I thought it was a great signing. You know, but I mean, again, looking at the guards that they have on the roster now, I mean, you know, get his get his get his young man a shot. You know, what well, I'm saying? yeah, but, I agree with you, and, and that's you know, it's funny you say that because um, I was going to touch on Trey Burke because you know he kind of fits that up. And fans don't jump jump down my throat. Um, I'm not saying he is, but he kind of fits that scoring guard mold that uh, you know. From from Hornacek's time with Phoenix, when when they were running uh, Brandon Knight, Eric Bledsoe, and and Isaiah Thomas, and uh, I don't necessarily think uh, Hornacek is looking for a guy to, to average, you know, twelve, you know, thirteen assists a game. He he likes to to run those that you know that pressure that pressure uh, guard offense where he's got both guards going a hundred percent, you know, hundred miles at a time. And, and uh, 100 miles per hour at, at you know any moment. I think Trey Burke can can uh, work that. You know if you let's say uh, you know Frank Nelikina can shoot the ball. That I do know. I, I don't. But 
or, or whatever it is. You know, you cut Jared Jack, you cut Ramon Sessions, you know, as the season goes on, you bring in Trey Burke, and all of a sudden you're running two guards, and, and they're just pushing the ball, pushing the ball, pushing the ball, and they both can score, and then the other guys can fill in. Now, now you can start, you know, opening the floor for KP. You can start opening the floor for you know, Tim Hardaway Jr. Now, that's all best-case scenario, right? So, and with the Knicks, it usually never works out best-case scenario. So, a signing like Trey Burke probably won't work out. And we'll be talking about, you know, who we get with the number five pick next year at some point. Yeah, we'll see. But, you know, I'm actually excited the NBA season is kicking off. So, you know, I'm looking forward to not only... You know, the, the, the Knicks and the, and the Nets, but I'm also looking forward to basketball in general. And speaking of the Nets, the Nets actually look pretty good in the preseason. They actually opened up against the Indiana Pacers uh, for their first game of the season. And I think the Nets, the Nets I'm sorry, the Nets are going to be a lot better than what people project them to be. I even see the Nets finishing ahead of the Knicks this year, man, Mike. I think they're, you know, they made some good acquisitions, some good offseason moves. And, you know, they look really good. But, you know, then they play well against the Knicks. And then I see them play against Philadelphia. And they got the shorts beat off of them by the Philadelphia 76ers. But that just goes to show how good Philadelphia can be as well. So, you know, teams that were always laughing stocks in the Eastern Conference, you know, they've gotten a lot better. So teams that, you know, you would never say the Philly is going to make the playoffs or that the Nets are, you know, going to make the playoffs. But, I think the Phillies, the you know, just the Phillies. I'm sorry, the 76ers have a really good chance of making the playoffs. So we'll see. And like I said, I actually like the Nets roster. D'Angelo Russell has been playing well this off season. I mean, this preseason. Uh, Jeremy Lin has been playing well. You know, uh, Crab has been playing well. So you know, the, the Nets have some pieces, man. So I'm actually looking forward to see what they can do. I'm looking forward to seeing what these young Knicks can do. I'm just looking forward to basketball. But let's not forget, man, Mike, that there's, there's also hockey being played in the great city of New York. Uh, we might as well forget there's hockey being played the way our uh, New York Rangers are playing. Yeah, you know, so it's it's only, look, it's only six games into the season. And right now, surprisingly, the New Jersey Devils are sitting atop the Metropolitan Division with four wins and one loss for a total eight points. My New York Islanders... Uh, they're, they're three. They're two. They're, they're a spot ahead of your beloved Rangers. They're two and two with one tie for five points, and your beloved Rangers are one and five, Matt Mike, for a total of two points. Who would have ever thunk that? As the Rangers are always at the top of the division, but again, it's still early in the season, so you know they got a chance to change things around. And I don't expect the Rangers to be in last place, you know. But the Islanders, they have three rookies that. Look really good, you know, and Ho Sang and, and you know Ho Sang leading the charge. And, you know, I'm excited to see what they have. Again, they have potential to be a playoff team, but I can honestly see or not be mad if they don't make the playoffs. But I'm expecting the Rangers to make the playoffs, Mad Mike. Yeah, uh, um the defense has been uh the, the the play in the defensive zone has been uh pretty shoddy. Uh Longquist looks looks uh I'm going to say he looks old. He hasn't looked like himself, but once again, I don't know how much of that is, is uh, the play in the defensive zone. The one guy that uh, is coming out and earning his contract is Mika Zibanejad. Uh Five goals through uh, six games. Uh, he, he's definitely uh, playing um, top-notch uh, hockey right now. Him and Ovechkin got like video game numbers right now. Yeah. 
Ovechkin is killing, man. Both them dudes have video games number, video game numbers. So, you know, the season is young. You know, there's a lot of hockey to be played. You know, there's a lot of basketball to be played. The football season is going by so quickly. And believe it or not, there's still some baseball to be played. Unfortunately, guys, we don't have time to take any questions because we touched on quite a bit today. And that's going to bring us to the conclusion of this show. As always, I would like to thank our producer, A.O. Omar Baker, for being the engine behind this thing and sticking with us. And, you know, continue to do the work that he does. I would like to thank Mad Mike for always calling in and taking time out of his busy schedule because he's always on the move. And I want to thank you guys, the listeners, because as always, without you guys, there's no us, so we appreciate it. Guys, again, please have a safe and blessed week. We'll see you next week. And let's go Yankees. Ayo! We Fonito! Well, all right. We've come to the conclusion of this week's Lloyd A. Thompson and Mad Mike Sports Show. My name is A.O. Aaron Omar Baker. I'm the producer. Thank y'all very much for tuning in. Thank y'all for listening. Thank y'all for sharing. Listen, Knicks, anybody in the New York Knicks organization that may be listening to this show, let's get it together, fellas. Ladies, gentlemen, let's get it together. Need some W's. I need some wins. I need some championships before I die. I know it's not going to happen this season, but we can inch a little bit closer to it. All right, we out of here. Yankees are doing their thing. Let's 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 bring a win back. Even though I'm a Mets fan, I'd rather see the New York team take it home. And of course, the Giants did win. I'd love to see win number two next week. Speaking of next week, we'll be back next week, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, next Monday, LloydAThompson.com. Peace.